Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Since the Passover of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple area those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, as well as the money changers seated there. He made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and the oxen and spilled the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, Take these out of here and stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples recalled the words of scripture, Zeal for your house will consume me. At this the Jews answered and said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they came to believe the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. When he was in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, many began to believe in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus would not trust himself to them because he knew them all and did not need anyone to testify about human nature. He himself understood it well. The Gospel of the Lord. Recently, I was visiting a parish, and the pastor confided in me that he was a little distracted by this large plant that was stationed immediately in front of the altar, and the plant was taller and bigger than he was. So he was having some difficulty in this obstruction of his view of the people at Mass, and he mentioned this to a few people, and they said, Wait, Father, this is the way we've always done it here. Does that sound familiar? So he decided to move the plant would cause such a stir that it would be better just leave that one alone. 
Does that sound familiar, though? This is the way we've always done it here. Now, if you can get the picture of that sanctuary in your mind, you can appreciate this gospel where Jesus does a whole lot more than just move around the furniture and causes some stir that could register perhaps 5.5 on the Richter scale throughout all of Judea. To begin with, as always, a brief background information could help us appreciate what's happening here. This particular gospel episode about Jesus cleansing the temple takes place in John's gospel in the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Unlike the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where this scene occurs immediately before Jesus' passion and death almost suggesting it's another reason, perhaps the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, that so provoked the Jewish leaders that they began to conspire his very death. The scholars who study the scriptures suggest that perhaps the synoptic account is more historical, but you know enough now about the gospel writers that they can take this theological license to construct the gospel not according to perfect chronology or biography, but rather to present a certain theology. With that liberty, John places this scene of Jesus cleansing the temple in the beginning of his gospel to suggest this is what his ministry will be about, that is, transforming all of our religion, all of our life with the Lord. Jesus' ministry is about bringing new life and needed changes that bring that new life. The gospel begins by setting the stage. As John says, the Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. You might know that the Passover was the greatest of all the Jewish feasts of the entire year. It usually occurred about mid-April, much like our own Passion Week and Easter celebration. There was a Jewish law, in fact, that every adult Jewish male who lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem, they were obligated by the law to attend the Passover festivity in the holy city of Jerusalem. So we see Jesus making this pilgrimage to the holy city and to praying in the temple, as did not only the people of Jerusalem in the outlying territory, but in fact, pilgrims from all over the world. William Barclay, in his commentary on this passage, suggests that more than two and a quarter million Jewish people would often come to celebrate the Passover in the times of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Two and a quarter million people coming together to celebrate this great feast of the Passover. And the people who would come to the temple, were told, as I now quote, came into the temple precincts. And Jesus, when he came upon people engaged in selling oxen, sheep and doves, and others seated changing coins. Again, scholars suggest that all these above said activities were commonplace in the temple precincts. But let me describe what the Temple precincts are not to be confused with the precinct here in Cincinnati. The temple was consisted of several 
inner courts all leading into the Holy of Holies. There was first the outer courtyard that was called the Court of the Gentiles. So anyone was allowed here. And this outer courtyard, which is wide in the open, was the place where these animals would be brought and where coins would be exchanged, as I'll point out a little later. And then that led into the court of the Jewish women, and then another court of the Jewish men. They were highly sexist, of course. And then the inner court of priests, and which ultimately led to the small but beautiful golden niche building of the Holy of Holies that enclosed the Ark of the Covenant, which was the great commandments, the law of the Lord, you might remember. It was there, we, we believed, the presence of God dwelt. Now, in these outer courtyards, as I m- mentioned, this is where animals would be sold. And you might know that the temple is where people came to offer sacrifice to the Lord as their way of worshiping God, uh, so that providing the animals in this courtyard was, in fact, a real service to these pilgrim people who came from many miles all around the world, obviously unable to bring along animals themselves. Furthermore, there would be these money changers, which were also necessary and very helpful to the pilgrims, who did not have Jewish coins. They would have carried with them the Roman or Greek coin, which would have contained the image of the imperial king or queen, which, of course, greatly offended the pious Jew, who believed that any graven image was the great sacrilege and therefore could not be offered at the temple. They had to exchange this money, much like we do when we go to a foreign country and exchange currency. So why? Would Jesus get so upset at this business that's being carried on the way things always have been done? And we're told he got even a little more than a little upset. We read in this gospel, Jesus made a kind of whip of cords and drove them all out of the temple area, sheep and oxen alike. And he knocked over the money changers' tables, spilling their coins. He told those who were selling doves, get them out of here. It does remind me and bring me back to my childhood when my brothers and I would be playing football in the living room. And mom would come running and shouting, get out of here. Now, I understand at the time, you know, maybe it's okay. All right. It's not good to kick field goals in the living room. But I couldn't figure it out. You know, the green carpet made a wonderful astroturf. We were perfect passers, and be, by the way, the furniture was a great blocking tackle. So what was the big deal? You know, and these people, they would have said, well, what's going on? What's the big deal? We've always done it this way. Why did Jesus get so angry? I suggest three reasons that seems to be applied in this gospel and even stated explicitly in Jesus' comment when he shouted, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. We know, first of all, that it would have been very difficult to pray 
while you have all these sheep and goats and oxen bleeding and yelling and mooing and making all their loud noise, not to mention the banter of all the market salesmen who would be trying to make their bargain. You could appreciate this if you've ever been to all the Holy Land. Honest to goodness, it's one of the first things that strikes you is what the marketplace is like. It is a loud yells and smells of all kinds, and it's a bombardment of the senses and so distracting. And I remember even it seemed to carry over into one church we happened to visit. I won't mention the church, but it was almost impossible to pray. So that's what Jesus is first saying is you've turned this place of prayer into a marketplace, and that would have irked him greatly. Secondly, we can learn something about the money changers from William Barclay's commentary. I learned that they were customarily charged an exorbitant amount of rate of exchange. In fact, they were known as cheaters because of all the money they made off these poor pilgrims, because they had them over the barrel, you see. They had the only business in town, so to speak. So in another gospel, Jesus looks to these money changers and say, you are a den of thieves. Yeah, they were ripping off the people. Worst of all, in Jesus' mind, they were doing it in the name of God. Mm. In the name of religion. And that is so perverted, that's blasphemous. Thirdly, I would suggest that seems to me the reason that Jesus was so upset and had every reason to be upset was the fact that they were forgetting what their religion was all about. It's not about just selling animals and burning incense and yelling and you know making the right exchange of coins. When the prophets down through the ages tried to sell them, it's a converted heart, pure heart, a humble heart. That is the sacrifice God asks of us, that we turn away from injustice and help the poor and the oppressed and the needy, the hungry widow, the lonely. And somehow, somehow, it's so easy to forget that, isn't it? What it's all about. I can't help but think of some contemporary examples. When I drive by some churches and I see this huge 10 foot by 10 foot sign of bingo, or festival, or fish fry, or raffles, and then you have to strain your eyes to see the small print, and Sunday services are at. And it's like, do they realize what sign they're really giving? Are we forgetting what it's all about? Is this not a sign of certain priorities we sometimes have unconsciously? Exterior signs are only indications of other things that need to be looked at today, and I want to raise the question today. If Jesus came to our church, our temple today, what would he say? What would he want to change? I asked that question to my homily group that meets every Monday morning, a group of priests that come together to look at the gospel. And, and I was really proud of the question I raised. And my brother priest said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, uh, and then I started, you know, where I think Jesus would start. I said, I think you'd go right to Rome. Start right at the top. And I think he would just 
tell them what they need to hear and how that needs to change. And I think you would just set everybody straight on all the right issues to get in line. And I was going on and on with this list of my issues, you know, that I think need to be changed and how I think Jesus would have a clearing house of all kinds of things that I don't think have lot to do with the gospel. And I was really getting hot and heated. And I was giving a little mini homily right there. And I, I'll never forget, after it was over, there was just dead silence. And I thought, yeah, I really, I, yeah, I just, I really got him, you know, I really got him thinking. And then Father Phil, who was here last week, said, hmm, do you really plan to say that? I said, yeah. He said, well, I think Jesus would not start in Rome. I think he would start at home. Hmm. And he said, I think if he would come to our home parish, I think the first thing he would want to change is me. Whoa. As soon as he said that, I immediately felt like those men in the temple must have felt when the tables were turned around. Yes, the tables were turned around on me, and I was embarrassed for thinking that what I was suggesting was all so good, but not completely of God. I now come to share with you, I think, if Jesus were to come into this church at this cathedral, this temple today, I do believe the first thing he would want to change is me. I hope you would agree for yourself, too. I believe that Jesus would want to drive away all those things that keep us from drawing closer to the Lord. All those many things that distract us, and usually it's not so much the raffle tickets is all the other chances I'm taking in life, preoccupying my mind and my attention. It's all those things that really keep me from praying well. I think if Jesus were to come into this church today, I think he'd want to change those obstacles that keep me from coming closer to each other. Those things that he wants to deliver from me and I suspect from you, would be those injustices that we are so often unconscious of, those prejudices, that pettiness that keeps us from not honoring our Father's business, which is all about love and service. I would think he would want to change in me whatever truly is not giving service to the Lord. It's wonderful coincidence that this Sunday, in those parishes that are commemorating the catechumenate process, that we're being invited to celebrate the scrutiny. By that, I mean the priest is inviting those preparing to come into the church at Easter time to go through a scrutiny of themselves to see the sin in their life that is keeping them from coming closer to Christ and living the full Christian life. I think we all would do well to make that scrutiny ourselves, to see what is blocking us 
those things that we've always done things this way in our own bad habits and bad thinking that needs to be challenged and changed. And what is it that the Lord really wants to do for you and to me? Yes, I, I want to leave this question with you today. If Jesus came into our church today, what would he want to change? What do you imagine? Let me end with this story. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's a wonderful story about a certain monastery that grew on very hard times as the numbers had greatly declined and the monks grew older and older. There was very little life left in that monastery. And the abbot of the monastery was feeling very depressed and discouraged. So he went off to pray and he met this other holy man of God and poured out his heart to this man who understood his burden and commiserated with him. And the two men joined together in prayer that God would support him and strengthen him and bless his monastery in some way. Before he left this holy man, as they embraced, the holy man whispered in his ear, Just know that the Christ is among you. When he returned to his monastery, he shared that with the brothers there over dinner conversation. And as they came to reflect on that, one after the other started wondering what that holy man might have meant. Christ is among you? Could it be they thought that? Maybe Christ is present in the abbot. Not likely, but just in case, they began to think maybe they better be more respectful and obedient to him. And then uh, you can almost hear their minds speak out loud, their inner thoughts. One thought, could it be Crazy Charlie? No. I mean, he's too crazy. But isn't it just like the Lord to come through the least of all? And he recognized maybe Charlie was carrying the Christ to him. And another about another, and it went on and on. And, you know, the amazing thing is, little by little, they began to take a new look at themselves and each other. And it did change things how they beheld each other and spoke to each other with a new reverence and respect. And before long, there was this slow but gradual change that occurred in the spirit of this monastery. And even those who came to make retreat there noticed the difference. And they spoke of that when they returned home, and many more then came to begin to make pilgrimage, something, for whatever reason, people had long ago had stopped doing. And after a while, young men began to inquire about joining this community that they could see such a light of love. And before long, the monastery was filled again with a whole new life and love because they discovered the Christ that was among them. That is what's going to change this church, that we could see the Lord among us, calling us all to change. It's not the trickle-down theory from start at Rome, but it's starting right at home. What the Lord wants to do right at home 
in our own little chapels of our houses and families and friends, even at work. Imagine the Lord walking even into here. What would he say? What would the Lord say? Or to our home parish, what would he say? It's all about conversion. What would Jesus want to change? Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.